you'll know if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we're looking at, well, it's, it, it's partly our giving series. And as I say, we need people to give to the church. Uh, and, and at the moment, it's pretty fundamental because in periods of transition, it's, it's important that we have a degree of stability. And, and again, I challenge those that we exercise discipline in terms of our giving. But giving just for the sake of giving is, is fairly pointless. And, and we need to know why we're giving. We need to know what we're giving to. And, and the reality is that what we do today safeguards the church for tomorrow. And, and, and really, the, the things that happen today determine the direction of the church. And so the question that we ask ourselves, and we're grappling a lot with this at the moment, is what do we want SBC to look like in, in five years' time? You know, what kind of church do we want to see? And you know, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we, we've been talking about the, the sense of being a church in the city for the city. We have an amazing location right in the heart of the city. Yesterday, uh, yesterday, last week, last Sunday, uh, straight after the service, I went on the door, started greeting people. Somebody walked up and they said, um, I'm uh, studying to be a lawyer, I'm a Muslim, and I want to find out about Christianity. And I went, oh, okay. And uh, they didn't want to see the church, they wanted to find out about Christianity. So I took them in and introduced them to some of the Alpha team went back to the door. Within two minutes of arriving at the door, a, a Scottish guy arrives. He'd obviously been working. He was in a luminescent jacket. He arrives and he says, I'm really interested in finding out about Christianity. I've lived here all my life. Can you take me to somebody that can talk to me about it? So I took, here's another one. And I thought, you know, like fishing? Have you ever gone fishing? And it's like, this is so easy. <laughs> What's the problem? And these were young men. You know, in their 20s, searching for something. And again, part of that flux and transition is definitely a new spiritual hunger. And, and, and our location in the city center gives us a high profile and approachability, visibility and approachability in that search that people have. And, and over the next five years, we need to think about that because we need to be a church that reaches out and beyond itself. But part of that in the next five years is the new Scots, or I'll call them the internationals, whether they be students or, or migrants, or whether they be refugees that are becoming part of our communities. If we're thinking in terms of the next five years, we have to be figuring this in. And you'll know if you've been part of SBC in the last two or three years, the makeup of our congregation has dramatically changed. And uh, sometimes people go, uh, say, oh, there aren't any young folks in SBC. And I'm going, they're coming to the same church. And then I realized, sometimes people are colorblind. <laughs> they don't see all the young people because they're a different color from them. And, and they don't see it, and they don't perceive what's happening in terms of the numbers and the vitality. The, the, a few years ago, uh, we had a group called Fire Starters that came to stay in the church. Not a great group to come and stay in the church called Fire Starters, but anyway. And, uh, and uh, they, uh, they, uh, they, they were all uh, white, young kids. Fifty of them came. 
a year ago or so, we've got, actually they're coming back in March again to stay in the church, but a year ago or so, they came to stay at the beginning of the year. There was about 80 kids this time. And I remember walking into the church and looking, and the diversity, the racial diversity of that group of young people was phenomenal. You know, it was just like, wow. And I thought, there's been a shift and a change. You see, what's been happening, and I believe in 2022, there was over three quarters of a million people came to Britain, that's that we know about, came to Britain during that period. Many of them seeking to make their lives here and to become part of our communities and society. And, and throughout Scotland, as there has been a... a <clears throat> Uh, people have stopped going to church, people have lost interest in the church. A large number of these internationals have come in and started to be part of the Christian communities. It's been happening here in SBC. And the question is, as a church, how do we respond to this? How do we plan in relation to this? What does it mean for us as a community? And uh, I, I, I thought it would be good, as part of the vision, to think a little bit about this international dimension. Because the one thing I'm pretty sure of is in the next five years, it's going to become a greater element rather than a lesser element. And, uh, and we need to work out, as a people, how we're going to respond to this phenomenon. Now, I appreciate that uh, there, there are all kinds of issues that get generated uh, when we begin to talk about these subjects. And the, there's, even this week, the church has been put in the spotlight because uh, uh, government ministers have been making pronouncement about the church being a soft touch for the migrant population, and basically people are con shammingly converting to Christianity. And uh, the, the, these commitments to Christianity are just for migration purposes, and there's a massive thing. Because we had one single incident, one single incident in London where somebody who had supposedly converted from Islam to Christianity was involved in a horrific crime in London. But it generates the issue, and it's all over the press. You will read the editorials if you get the Sunday papers this week. It's, it's there, and it's being talked about. And it's the church and this whole response. And, and so we've got to think about what this looks like. And does SBC have some part in the future of this? If you come with me to the Life Center any day of the week, the thing that you will be immediately struck by is all the internationals that are there. Uh, I was hearing this week, we've got a Polish AA group starting up in the Life Center. We had a whole bunch of Ukrainians that have now come and started using the Life Center. Uh, initially, we thought they were going to make candles, but apparently some of them are engaging in making camouflage nets. And uh, that's the camouflage net that you see in the picture. Interesting phenomenon. More, more pronounced, we have the School of English. And uh, again, we're using our middle floor, one of the principal users of the Life Center. Loads and loads of internationals. As uh, we go in there for our meetings and things, we pass these people. Lots of them. And we have Force Valley Welcome, who also are using the center increasingly more. Force Valley Welcome, a vision of a member of our church here, Donald Black, who in the midst of a, a, a begrudging world where 
was a decade ago or so, when the refugee issues became so acute, where Britain had been part of wars in other parts of the world. We'd gone and destabilized countries. And when people started to make their way to our country, we resented the fact that they were leaving the countries that we had destabilized. And, and Donald said, you know what? We need to respond here as Christians. And out of that came... Force Valley Welcome, uh, which is now an independent charity, and it, it does an amazing job, and it, it works out of the Life Center. Now, you might be surprised to discover, but in most of these instances, we, we semi-support these organizations. Some of them pay nominal rent to us for various things, but actually, we're part of this community of internationals within the city, and, and we're providing something of a focus for them. And, and the, the, the question that generates is, you know, what is our attitude? How are we going to respond in terms of what's happening in our country? Now, multiculturalism elicits a whole bunch of responses. And, and I'm sure you're all sitting there wondering, am I a Guardian reading reader or do I read the mail? And... Uh, Okay, most of those who know me will kind of work out where I sit in relation to these. And, and, uh, and, and I follow people on Twitter who think multiculturalism is the worst thing possible for this country, and it's totally destroying us. And, and, and I follow others who see the, the, the wonderful diversity it brings to our nation. Just a couple of things about, uh, about migration. Scotland is one of the fastest depopulating nations in the world. Within two generations, we will have 13% of our existing population because our kids aren't producing enough babies. I'm trying to encourage my kids, but it's not working. And, uh, but but we, we just aren't. And, and actually, only Japan uh, uh, has lower rates of uh, reproduction than Scotland. We, for some reason, again, I, I don't know why that is for Scotland. So Scotland needs migration, just so you know. But of course, then the debate becomes what kind of migration, and is it the right kind of migration? And, and we get into that. But whatever, in terms of Scotland, if the present birth rates continue, we are going to become an increasingly multicultural and international nation. Uh, we will be truly a nation of new Scots, and hopefully it will improve our football team and rugby team. And, uh, because actually, a lot of skills also come. I, I remember hearing someone talking about, uh, in the early days, about the refugees, particularly those coming from the Middle East and places like Afghanistan. And I heard a comedian saying, I would love to take a member of the Foreign Office, dump them in uh, war-struck Afghanistan, and say, find your way from there back to London <laughs> and see how they do. Because he was making the point that the people that are coming here are often motivated and able. And, and it takes a degree of determination to get here. I, I was amazed how many people came during COVID and how on earth they managed to get over here. And, and, and the thing is, in the midst of this, in the midst of this multiculturalism that we're experiencing, we've got to recognize that it's neither good nor bad. What is going to be critical is about how we respond. And multiculturalism for our church is neither good nor bad. It's critical how we respond. 
And can we create a community that truly embraces a multicultural dimension? The internationals, by the way, bring phenomenal amounts of money into, to pay for their living and their education and all sorts of things. Provides a challenge for us as a church in terms of that. But that dimension is going on. And what's going to happen in terms of us as a community of God's people? And, and I, I want to say, you know, that the thinking of our, the internationals a resource or a threat is, is something that people struggled with in the past. Here we have the story in uh, 2 Kings 5, the story of Naaman. Naaman's a, a Syrian. And uh, we, we heard already we've got Syrian refugees within the Stirling district. And, and he's in a situation where he needs something. And, uh, and he, he decides, he, he gets a whole bunch of gifts, actually. He's bringing a resource to the king of Israel. And, and he gets all this stuff, and he starts to bring it. And the king of Israel's reaction is a very telling one. Rather than seeing the Syrian king coming as a resource, he sees it as a threat. Now, there's a threat here. And, and again, read the papers. You know, I hate British media. I, increasingly, I'm disillusioned with it beyond belief. And that goes for both the Guardian and the Mail. And, uh, and, and it's just horrific. The portrayal of human beings and, and the way that these issues are debated and discussed is so, so shallow. We need profounder thinking than this. But often we perceive threat. A person's culture is different from us. A person's religion is different from us. A person's background is different from us. We, we had a meeting in my house on, on Tuesday night where we had people exploring membership and coming into church. And, and there was a dozen of us. A third of them were internationals. Well, unless you count the English. And, uh, but, but the... Uh, <laughs> true. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, but, you know, and, and, and we have a little exercise. I love it. Nobody else does. But, you know, describe the house you lived in when you were eight. And people start to tell their stories. And the stories that you start to hear is just phenomenal of people and their context and the diversity. I, I doubt anywhere in the world you would see a group of such diverse people with such diverse backgrounds coming together and looking to form a community. It's amazing. But often people don't see the wonder of that and the challenge of that and the joy in that we perceive threat. We're under threat. You know, I've, I've even heard it said in terms of the church, oh, the church is changing. And all these new people, will they really be able to replace some of the people that we've left, have left? And I was like, oh, okay, that's an interesting way to look at things and to perceive things. And, you know, if we're all honest... Some of us do think like that at times. I had to, because I used to lecture, I haven't lectured for a while, but I used to lecture at a university and because I had to do unconscious bias training. I love these courses. But, you know, we, I, I did that course half begrudgingly. But, you know, it's true that we are so full of unconscious biases. We are. 
you know, and, and, and it's reflected. And, and, and often we see hidden agenda. And, and that's how the king of Israel related to the Syrian king. He said, there's a hidden agenda. They've come to take us over. The, this guy, Naaman from Syria, is coming. And, and it says he ripped his clothes. That's what you did if you were really upset. And, uh, and people, and again, if you watch the social commentary, people get very, very upset. We're going to lose our way of life. We're under threat. We are besieged. We have to do something. And, and again, I don't want to diminish the complexities of these issues because they are complex. But nevertheless, this perception, and suddenly it's woeful. It's not the way it used to be. Look at what's happened to our cities. I went to a town in England in the Cotswolds a couple of weeks ago, and I was walking around it, and um, I suddenly realized as I walked around the town, I was in a kind of culture shock because the town was 100% white. I mean, 100%. I, I, I walked around the, ten, the, the town for almost five hours and didn't see anybody that wasn't Caucasian. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> You know, suddenly, and then I thought about it and thought, wow, doesn't that show how things are changing and, and, and where we've got to? And, 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 and Alicia said, no, this isn't a threat. Why are you ripping your clothes? You know what? Talk to me <laughs> because we can help you address this thing. See that they come carrying gifts. The second thing that he said is that He says, send them to me. Now, now, it's interesting that Elisha chooses to do this for Naaman. Naaman's an enemy of Israel. Naaman is potentially a threat to Israel. And yet Elisha, the prophet, says, I'll engage with him. You know, when Jesus tells this story, this is the point he makes. He says, isn't it interesting that God chose to engage with the internationals? Isn't it interesting that God was not partisan in those that he approached? And he tells, actually, he refers directly to this story as an illustration of that, that God is for everyone. And uh, we, I was at a house group on uh, Sunday night, and they, they were st- uh, on Tuesday night, and they were studying Zechariah 7. And um, in, in Zechariah 7, the prophet makes this contrast. He, he says, you know, you do all this religious stuff, but you deny the basics. And he says, these are the words of the Lord. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot against each other. Zechariah is declaring, he's saying, if the people of God are to be a true community of God, you have to work with the marginalized. You have to be there for the marginalized. The church needs to be a sanctuary. You know, and, uh, and um, again, and I'm sure you'll have plenty to talk about over your lunch in relation to the sermon. But you know what? A lot of the criticism the church is now getting because people who want to explore Christianity are coming and getting baptized and it's helping their immigration status. And there's a lot of critique of this, and obviously we don't want people making false professions. I I did see the mail carried a headline today of a minister who said, I baptized 500 migrants and only half of them came to church. 
And you know what I thought? I thought, isn't it amazing? 200 people find faith. <laughs> okay, maybe that's just what I read. But, but, but you know, there, there's something there about the church being a sanctuary, a place which welcomes those that are not welcomed elsewhere. A place which is about in, being inclusive and building a community. See, many times, and if you talk to a lot of the new internationals, you'll discover that in their nations, they did all kinds of significant things. And now they come to our nation, and many of them are doing jobs that we won't do. That's the truth of it. And you're like, wow. And, and, and you kind of see this, and you think, well, what is our reaction? What is our expectation here? See, sometimes... People come and their expectations aren't realized. And sometimes we miss God's blessing because we don't do the obedient steps. Your name is told by Elisha, go and bathe in the river. And, and it's basic 101. It's what you do. It's an everyday thing. He says, take this step. Be obedient and take this step. 101, look after the poor, look after the widows, look after the marginalized, look after the foreigner. Basic 101, but sometimes our pride, our arrogance, our sense of self denies us simple obedient steps. And, and suddenly God's purposes are stifled because we deny simple obedient steps. Being a place of welcome, being a place of sanctuary, being a place that builds community. You see, the way that we embrace a new international dimension, the way that we move into a multicultural future and how it goes is by being obedient to our values as Christians and it's by taking simple steps. You know, I was sort of thinking and thought, maybe I can come up with some profound insights into how you build a multicultural church that reflects diversity as we move forward in the next five years. And, and, and as I read this story, I, I thought, what was Naaman asked to do? He was asked to take a bath. He probably did that every day of his life. It was just a slightly uncomfortable location, but he was asked to do it. It was going to make him uncomfortable. Do you know what? Building a multicultural future is simply about doing simple steps. What is it about? It's obedience lies in the simplicity of God's instruction. What's God's instruction? It's about inviting and learning and listening. Do you know how we build a church that is an inclusive church? We invite people that aren't like us. See, Tuesday night, it was great. I love having people from all these diverse backgrounds and hearing their stories. But it starts with an invitation. Come round and have a meal with me. Is it uncomfortable? Maybe it is. You know, maybe we're struggling over language or understanding one another. But it starts with an invite by expressing hospitality. How do we build a multicultural future? How do we create an effective community as a church? We exercise hospitality and we invite one another. Very simple step. And then we learn and listen. You know, we listen to experiences. Uh, just, you know, simple questions. Tell me what it's like. Tell me what you did before. Tell me what your struggles are as you come to this nation. I'll tell you about my struggles. You know, we build a community by learning and listening. And here's the thing. This is how we build community, no matter the color of our skin. 
We build a community that exercises hospitality, a community that learns and listens to one another, and a community that is obedient in the simple steps of doing what God tells us, to look after the marginalized, to look after the widow, and to look after the foreigner. Obedient steps, simple steps. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the challenge of this story. Lord, and I thank you that you are God who commands us and tells us not to oppress the foreigner, not to alienate the poor, but to be a place of sanctuary. Help us not to plot evil against one another, but to be a community which exercises hospitality, inclusiveness, Help us to be a community where we listen and we learn from one another. Lord, we pray for our governments. Lord, we know that these are difficult and complex issues that our governments are facing. We pray for wisdom for those governments. Lord, we pray for a world that is a better world, a world which does not necessitate all the transitions that we see within it. Lord, bring healing to those worn, torn parts of the world which are a consequence of the policies often of our government. Lord, bring healing to those places that suffer from economic oppression created by Western societies. Lord, create healing and help us to represent values that show the God that we worship, a God who is for the marginalized and the foreigner. Amen.